Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And I'll tell you, if I were Joe Biden, yeah. if, if I were advising Joe Biden, I would say, listen, you have an unbelievable opportunity here. Yeah. Where you, you, you increase funding for Ukraine, uh, you, continue, you continue the funding there, but you don't do a halfway measure on the border. This is an unprecedented crisis on the border. That calls for an unpre unprecedented action. And some people in his base is not, are not going to like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what compromise is. Like Lyndon Johnson is like, I want 51 votes. If we got 65, 68 votes, then I didn't push the compromise enough. I want 51 votes, which means I offended people on both sides on the extreme, <laughs> and we got everything in there we could yes. possibly get in there. That's what Joe Biden needs to do here. We're always hearing, oh, well, these people keep streaming across the border because we don't have enough border agents. We don't have enough judges. We yeah, don't have enough this. We don't have enough that. Well, there aren't resources to take care of this. And, and I'm sorry, but going around on the campaign trail and talking about what's happening in Central America, that's not going to help anybody. There's a crisis at the border right now that has to be taken care of first. And it'll take Democrats and Republicans to do it'll that. It'll take Democrats and Republicans to do it. You've got a great opportunity to do it here. And these holistic problems, right? Other countries, the reason why they're coming up here? Well, that is long-term. And you know it's long-term. That doesn't work on the campaign trail. Actually, give people the resources they need on the border Give them the judges. Give them the give give them the security. That takes Republicans. G give give everybody what they need. Uh, the the border security people. Uh, and, and this is a great opportunity to do it. Don't listen to the extremes on both sides. Do what's the right thing. And I will say, if you do what the right thing is to bring some order to the border. Yeah. He actually anytime Donald Trump brings up the border, he goes, "Wait, what are you?" Mm. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 5th of October, year of our Lord, 2023. And that's Joe Scarborough. Wow, I played a positive Joe Scarborough with, you know, maybe, 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 maybe. They're starting to get it, but I doubt it. Today we're going to call cover Bowman, McCarthy, a little bit of binded stuff and a short woke. I'm having a crap day stomach-wise. You know, I've had so many great days. Today is just one of those days that I could eat lava. It would taste just like I had a cookie. I mean, I don't know what's going on. So if I look less smiley, it's because my innards are fucked. and I don't know why. 
So I would be a horrible, you know, uh, middle of the road podcaster if I didn't yin and yang my openings. So I got one. This is literally the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I'm going to keep it for the year end review because, um, fuck me. Are you fucking serious? Here is a soundbite where NBC panics over something in public schools. Religion. It's Anisha Menezes' senior year, but she spent less time celebrating making Honor Society or getting excited about college. I think we all just feel exhausted. We try Instead, she's often worried about politics in her North Texas school district of Grapevine, Colleyville. In my school, all I can see is people pitted against each other. Over the course of the last two years, school board candidates backed by conservative Christian activists in three local districts, Grapevine, Colleyville, Southlake, and Keller, have passed sweeping policies, restricting lessons on race, gender, and sexuality, the bathroom use of trans students, and removing hundreds of books. Parents weighing in. Teachers shouldn't be forced to use your freaking made-up fantasy pronouns. We're clouding their mind with these, these ideas of, of gender confusion. But students at all three districts told us they now worry the church is creeping into the state and their schools. How have you seen religion influence your schools? It's frustrating, strange, and hypocritical to see the In God We Trust signs being put up everywhere while at the same time books are being removed from our library shelves. On the first day of the Texas legislative session, pastor and North Texas representative Nate Schatzline led a prayer in the Texas Capitol. There's nothing more important that we could be doing than this right here, worshiping and praying in the middle of the Capitol. During the session, he voted to restrict drag performances and to hire religious chaplains as unlicensed mental health counselors in public schools. He canceled an on-camera interview but agreed to speak to NBC News for the new podcast, Grapevine. What we hear from LGBTQ children right now is that this slate of bills has made them feel less safe in their community. How do you square that reality with your Christian faith? I think Christianity is always rooted in truth, and our emotions are always going to tell us things. You know, what we have never done is encourage hatred towards that community. Do you believe in the fundamental separation of church and state? I believe that church and state, in the Constitution, what was written about it was written to keep the state out of the church, not to keep the church out of the state. That sentiment drove award-winning history teacher Amanda Guthrie away from public education for good. You made the decision to leave in the middle of the school year. I did. Why not stick it out a few more months? It felt unsafe. The people that work in that district are hardworking, caring people, but... You've got to be fucking kidding me. You fucking people out there. I mean, are you just fucking out? All this stuff you're pushing in school and you're scared about that. Really? Interesting. The next one, which I, I'm going to just do, this is our impeachment stuff for Biden today. It, 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 it isn't a surprise, but this is like the perfect, perfect example of what's wrong with our media. They are just inherently 
biased, but now it's gone to a a level that's it's troubling. Um, we're talking. We've always said on this show, and I hate when I do that, we, like there's only me, so I don't know why I'm doing like a Bill O'Reilly stupid thing. Um, they are saying the same stuff. You know, it's like they, they either they give the Dems the talking point or the talking point comes from the Dems and they give it to, uh, you know, the media. But here is an actual soundbite where you are going to hear the exact same thing coming out of a dim representative's mouth and then the media. The only thing the president is, can be guilty of here is being a father. He has unfortunately been guilty of loving his child unconditionally, and that is the only evidence that they have brought forward. The president loves his son. The only involvement on the part of the president of the United States was as a loving father. He loves his son, supports his son. Look, he's a, he's a loving father. Hunter Biden was trying to promote an illusion of access to his father for his own reasons. Hunter Biden was selling the illusion of access. An illusion of some access. The illusion of access. Going forward with an impeachment on the illusion of access. Hunter may have put his father uh, on the, the phone with any number of different people. It was all casual conversation, niceties, the weather. Yeah, he was on some phone calls talking about the weather, talking about the weather, exchanging pleasantries. Business was never discussed during these calls. There were more like pleasantries, even talking about the weather. It was more like niceties about the weather. Niceties, uh, talk about the weather. What's the weather where you're like, how's the fishing? How are you doing? The weather, how's the weather in Paris? They talked about things like fishing and the weather. The facts don't lead to Joe Biden. They lead to Hunter Biden. And Hunter Biden is not an elected official. Hunter Biden is not the president. Hunter Biden is not the president. Hunter Biden's not running for president, nor is he the president now. Hunter Biden is not, was not, and will not be the president of the United States. Hunter Biden's not running for president. There has been not a scintilla of evidence that would suggest in any way or allow even an inference to be drawn that President Joe Biden has done anything untoward. They have, there's no scintilla of any evidence. Not a scintilla of evidence is being brought forward. Repeated cries for impeachment of President Biden without a scintilla of evidence of any wrongdoing. There's not a scintilla of evidence that Biden has done anything wrong, much less criminal. This is all about distraction and delays. It, it is about distraction and showing loyalty. And I think it's just a distraction. Distraction at a time when there is no evidentiary ground for impeaching the president. It is a weapon of mass distraction. Impeachments, uh, maybe impeachment, an inquiry into President Biden. Will this be enough to distract voters from Trump's? It's not surprising. Let's be honest. It's just not surprising. And for our uh, last one, or last two, so we can get into subjects and start going on down the road. Here is a roofer that went viral. He's charging taxes on liberals because they like taxes. And if they appear to be liberals, he just charges them extra. And a video that they thought was going to... This guy is conservative, so I don't think he was trying to play the fuck, fuck goose, but he was saying, does this bother you? Um, Which... Of course, across the board, every fucking person who's a gun owner, so I'm not going to show you tweets, go, yeah, we down with that. This is this is what it's about. So those two fun videos are coming at you. 
And then we're going to go into uh, the beginning of the Bowman saga, which, once again, I wanted to do it before the McCarthy saga because once uh, we just, yeah, we're just we're just going to be shitty media. So you'll see a break between the two fun videos into that. Just another uh, really expensive roof. Uh, liberals drive on a BMW, so I charge another 15 grand. And uh, yeah, that's what you get for being liberal. <laughs> uh, I don't care if they watch this video either way, because there's no one else to roof, because your liberal government uh, made everybody lazy by giving them fucking serves, and nobody wants to work. So I can treat people like shit, act like a fucking asshole, and uh, they still got to pay me for their expensive shit, whether they like it or not. And they got to pay 25% more because they're liberal. So hey, welcome to the real world. Some Republicans are also calling for the ouster and prosecution of New York Democrat Jamal Bowman, a former middle school principal who they accuse of pulling a house office building fire alarm to delay the tense proceedings Saturday. Bowman apologized and said he thought the alarm would open a locked doorway as he rushed to votes. The House Administration Committee and U.S. Capitol Police are invested. Last thing I want to mention, and then we're going to take a quick break. Um, there was a mention of Jamal Bowman, Congressman um, Jamal Bowman, and the pulling of some sort of fire alarm. And I just want to read for you some of the reporting so you understand what actually went on there. Um, there were some reports that began to emerge about Representative Bowman, who was um, seen pulling some sort of fire alarm um, in the Cannon House office building earlier today. We got a statement on that. Um, saying Congressman Bowman did not realize he would trigger a building alarm as he was rushing to make an urgent vote. The Congressman regrets any um, confusion, just to clarify some things on that, because I know there was um, likely some folks kind of scratching their heads, wondering what it was they were asking. Um. Just ahead of votes, as Democrats complained about a rushed process, New York Democrat Jamal Bowman was accused of pulling a fire alarm in a House office building, which House leaders say they'll investigate. Bowman declined CBS News' request for an interview and then issued a statement saying he didn't realize he would trigger a building alarm as he was rushing to make an urgent vote. But the last-minute passage was not without drama. Congressman Jamal Bowman admitted to pulling a fire alarm in a House office building. Bowman said it was by accident, Republicans accusing him of doing it on purpose to delay the vote. You know, I think ethics should look at this, but this is serious. Meanwhile, McCarthy is calling for Congressman Jamal Bowman to face punishment. Republicans are accusing the New York Democrat of pulling a fire alarm on Capitol Hill to delay the funding vote. Bowman denying it was intentional. And there was a bizarre incident over the weekend. What can you tell us about a congressman pulling a fire alarm in the Capitol? Yeah, this was playing out during one of the most chaotic events over the weekend. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy called a last-minute vote. Democrats were trying to delay this. Then all of a sudden, a fire alarm went off, evacuating a House office building. Congressman Jamal Bowman, a Democrat, was caught on camera pulling that fire alarm. He says this was all an innocent mistake, but that's prompting even more confusion. The fire alarm is red. It is clearly labeled with the word fire. And now Capitol Police is investigating, Lindsay. Then, as Republicans rush the bill to the floor, New York Democrat Jamal Bowman pulled a fire alarm on Capitol Hill, later calling it an accident. Republicans accusing him of attempting to delay the vote and calling for punishment. Now, let's be honest. If he was a Democrat, he would be censured, which 
Representative Mayok Maliotakis from New York is drafting a resolution to have Representative Bowman expelled. Their spokesman, Natalie Badassa, tells me Lisa McCain is also drafting a resolution. Uh, this is United Congress, not a New York City high school. This action warrants expulsion, and I'm going to introduce a resolution to do this. Once again, you can get butthurt about what they're doing, but they're just playing the rules you made up. Media is playing the normal rules. Bowman office acknowledged he pulled the alarm, but suggested it was unintentional. Would that fly for MTG? He's on camera intentionally pulling the alarm. This is Sonny McFunnyface. And his staff didn't say it was unintentional. He said he did not realize he would trigger a building alarm by pulling it. Stephen L. Miller, it's weird no mention of law he broke in that piece. I'm sure that's just an oversight. No, it's not. It's not an oversight because these who... This is what our media has become. They will, in a million different ways, try to protect Dems when they fuck up, or they will not even cover it most of the time. So it's really kind of surprising they they covered this because it is a violation of House rules. They are the ones that started the, we're going to take your people off committees. That's never happened, but you did it. So, of course, the Republicans did the same thing. And then the whole media cried like it was a break in decorum and the Chuck Todds of the world freaked the fuck out and acted like the end of days is fucking nigh because they did it. Well, I think what's funny is the memes that came from it. So here are these, September 30th, never forget. This would be what the left would do. Remember, we we were told that uh, a small fracas that happened on Jan 6 was worse than Pearl Harbor and the War of 1812. This one, yeah, you, you gotta love that. That's that's some funny shit right there. Whoever did this, good on you. Maybe I should give them credit. Who did this? Uh, Prison Mitch. <laughs> good job, Prison Mitch. That's funny. This one, again, that's Mr. Didn't get, he got a misdemeanor, but he fucking broke the rules. <clears throat> this one, Jan 6, this one is my favorite. So, I've never covered, uh, I've never covered, what's her name? Misinformation Watchdog, decoding Fox News. Now, I'm blocked from him, or she locked it down is my assumption because you you can't um you can't fucking get on her site anymore but she decided that it was important enough to misconstrue what Greg Gutfeld said and her tweet is Greg Gutfeld, Jamal Bowman's accidental pull on a fire alarm accidental is the equivalent of 9-11 January 6th. It's outright disgraceful to compare the deadliest terrorist attack on U.S. soil since Pearl Harbor to fire alarm pull. There are plenty of crazy GOP elected officials. His reply, her stupidity must be an act because anybody who watches him, even though they have that other chick that does her thing, um... He's being a smartass. And remember, this is the same Bowman we played. I'm not going to play it. In case you missed it, this is the same stable where he's screaming at 
Thomas Massey for effect. I mean, he literally wanted to be seen. And then after this, inferred that uh, there are a bunch of Nazis. There's a bunch of Nazis over there. So that's just like really, really uh, not. It doesn't matter that I broke rules. What matters is they're Nazis. And he's going to get away with it. Nothing's going to happen to him. But once again, I hate saying once again all the time, if he was a Republican, he'd be out of office. This is the full Greg Gutfeld conversation to once again show how stupid the left is. There is, I wouldn't dismiss the calling Republicans Nazis so lightly because if you, this has always been part of the strategy. If you call somebody Hitler or you call somebody a Nazi, why wouldn't you sabotage a vote? Why wouldn't you rig an election? Why wouldn't you create a witch hunt against the person that you've been calling Hitler? So they call them Nazis to justify this behavior. Anything is possible. No question. He tried to interrupt a go- government official business. This is probably the worst deliberate act since 9-11. Uh, the question is, uh, does he go to prison? It's for how long he was trying to initiate an insurrection on his own and he should be treated just like the January Sixers, which gets to my amazing comparison. When you think about the extreme wacky participants of what happened on January 6th, the nutty conspiracists, the QAnon suckers, the misguided pirates, they weren't a sitting congressman, you know, and that's the key difference in these parties. On the right, the freaks aren't in power. On the left, the freaks are in power. And if you want proof, compare how they create their own conspiracies. The conspiracies' origins on the right, they bubble up from chat rooms. They bubble up from uh, uh, Reddit or uh, it, nobodies in forums and chat rooms, right? And they're crazy and they don't really go anywhere. But on the left, it's their conspiracies are created by a cabal of institutions, right? And politicians who created the Steele dossier. That didn't come from a QAnon. That came from Hillary, right? The Russian collusion, uh, suppressing uh, Hunter's laptop. These were all done by professionals, people that are high up in the party. So on the right, the nuts remain nuts. On the left, the nuts become elevated and they end up running the country. I think we should be really, really frightened by that. This dude has to face the same consequences. He should not be, you know, he should be expelled. That's what you would do in his school. As a principal, you would expel a student for pulling that. So he should not be, he should go to jail. Oh, yeah, baby. Just got my $100 Arcteryx beanie. For 10 bucks. Yeah, caught on a clearance sale. These things are fucking awesome. I'll have to take it off in a second because it's too fucking hot. It's one of those thin liner ones, but it's so good. Anyway, so you saw it was just, he was being fucking facetious. And he was actually doing what the left does. Because they did say J6 was worse than Pearl Harbor and Black Hawk Down. And I mean, come on, fucking people, please. Don't be fucking stupid. You people are just so fucking stupid. You can say this as a liberal, but when you say it as a conservative, you're a piece of fucking shit, and it's it's legit. Oh, that's real. He was being serious. No, he wasn't. 
He completely was not being serious. He was being you. That's how you people talk. You talk all the time and make the simplest little things into bigger than it is. And I once again submit, we're living in a time where now ultimate stupid, all right? Ultimate stupid because the left has made everything stupid. They just make everything stupid. It's so ridiculous. You can't even take anything that goes on in Washington serious anymore because these people are such fucking garbage humans. But our next segment, I have to say it because I'm an independent, so those that are super, super big conservatives, this is going to hurt your feelings, but goddamn, what the fuck is the right doing? You know, you got to have a plan. What is your plan on this? McCarthy sucks. So a few Republicans and a bunch of Democrats dump them. Just dump them. It is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. You're in a government shutdown that you're getting blamed for, which got averted, but, you know, everybody's still going on like it is. And you do this? The only thing positive came out of this was um, can't confirm that GOP Representative Patrick McKinney, this temporary speaker, has ordered Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi to exit her Capitol Highway by tomorrow, as first reported by Politico. Pelosi is SF to attend memorial of late Senator Feinstein. Breaking as one of the first acts as acting Speaker, Patrick McHenry ordered former Nancy Pelosi to vacate her Capitol Highway office by Wednesday. And, oh, my God, it is just so bad. It is, how could you do this? So, of course, then the the tool over on uh, MSDNC, Kyle Griffin, NBC confirms Nancy Pelosi was ordered to move out of her office, blah, blah, blah. Pelosi response, this eviction is a sharp departure from tradition. Office spaces don't matter to me, but it seems to be important to them. Somebody replies, and it's just the perfect... The lady that ripped up the president's speech on national TV. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's great. So, of course, we have sound bites. Mitchell gets triggered when a guest offends somebody booting Pelosi. You then follow with Hayes jerking off about how awesome Pelosi is. And then the networks throw a tantrum... Because the hard right GOP asked Kevin McCarthy, and they were the ones that said that Kevin McCarthy was a piece of shit and should be speaker. So, hypocrisy about. And tonight, for the first time in U.S. history, the House has voted to oust the speaker, Kevin McCarthy, brought down by a handful of hard right members of his own party who were furious with McCarthy for working with moderate Republicans and the Democrats to keep the government open. And tonight, the House now grinding to a halt until Republicans can agree on a new speaker, with yet another government shutdown now looming all over again. The ousted Speaker McCarthy leaving the chamber after the stunning rebuke. You'll recall the chaos in getting him elected Speaker of the House in the first place. It took 15 votes over five days. McCarthy made concessions at the time to win that vote. One of those concessions was a new rule allowing just one member to call for the Speaker's removal. Tonight, Florida Congressman Matt Gates doing just that. 
Democrats insisting today this is up to Republicans to get in order. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries calling on Republicans to break from the extremists and end the chaos. Instead, the speaker ousted. The House halted. Another shutdown now looming. And the search for a new speaker now begins. For the first time in the history of American democracy and the first Congress of 1789, the Speaker of the House has been removed from his position as the leader of the chamber. By a vote of 216 to 210, lawmakers booted Speaker Kevin McCarthy, throwing the House into chaos and into unprecedented territory. McCarthy seen here walking away from the chamber in bitter defeat after facing an uprising from the far-right faction of his own party. Florida Congressman Matt Gates, a longtime critic and thorn in the side of McCarthy, led the revolt after the now former speaker worked with Democrats on a funding bill to avoid a government shutdown. Only eight Republicans voted to vacate the chair, but 208 Democrats refused to come to McCarthy's rescue and save his speakership. Breaking tonight, Kevin McCarthy's short and rocky run as Speaker of the House of Representatives has come to an end. The California Republican, who until a few hours ago was second in line to the presidency, was voted out of the speakership this afternoon, nine months after he was elected to the job. His ouster came after key members of the narrow Republican majority he presided over turned on him in a dramatic statement of no confidence. The final vote, 216 to 210, with Democrats overwhelmingly joining dissatisfied Republicans in voting against him. The call for McCarthy's removal was instigated by Congressman Matt Gates just days after McCarthy made a deal with Democrats to keep the government... Let me ask you about the retaliatory action that was taken within an hour or so, taking away the ceremonial rooms of Nancy Pelosi. So speakers need offices in the Capitol, and by... I think Pelosi let John Boehner. Well, Boehner left, but Denny Hatchett had an office in the, in the Capitol for and, a while. And, and also left, let Paul Ryan keep offices for a while. I'm not sure which, which happened, but she did, not, she did not take the rooms away and did that in the past. Well, Boehner and Ryan were both gone sort of immediately after they left the speakership, so they didn't, they didn't need any space. I will confess a, a uh, maybe unpopular opinion. I don't have any problem with Patrick McHenry taking away an office space from Nancy Pelosi. They just booted, they just basically worked with Matt Gates to construct a coup of the Republican well, leadership. The fact is that they changed the locks while she was in San Francisco and couldn't. I just don't think, I don't, I don't think that when you uh, participate in a coup of the Republican leadership that you should expect any professional courtesy at this point. I don't think any, I think any collegiality goes out the door at that point. So I know that may be unpopular. This is interesting, the sort of, I guess the calculus of this moment is a reminder that because there wasn't a red wave, like Kevin McCarthy does have this very thin line. Right. And so, you know, ultimately, yes, you know, the Republicans won the House, but you realize the way they won it, the math just stinks. It does, although that's true. And obviously, if they had a 20-vote majority, it would be a very different situation. But Pelosi had the exact same majority last Congress. Yeah. And, and was there any of this? No, of course no, not. And right. partly that's because not only is Nancy Pelosi an incredibly skilled legislator just in terms of the dynamics of keeping a caucus together, there's just much more of a unified Democratic governing vision. There was stuff they wanted to do. Yeah. They, there was really clear stuff, and it, it got worked out through the primary, and there was the Inflation Reduction Act. There's stuff on climate they want to do, stuff on the care economy that got cut, left on the cutting room floor because of Manchin. There's, there's, you know, there was stuff on, on, on taxes, on the minimum wage, all this stuff. Some they did, some they didn't. But there was stuff. So in closing, I think it's just stupid. You know, I'm not going to... 
I'm not going to fucking go in depth on it. I, I, I just have to say, I don't know what you're thinking about. I don't know what this, what you get from this. What, what are you going to get from getting rid of, rid of him? I mean, I just, God, this is so fucking dumb. I know the guy is useless. Hey, I got it. He, he's not great. He's not a good guy at all. But at the end of the day, what... What do you benefit by doing this? What, what are we going to improve? Because you can go all day and just say, hey, we need to fight the power and blah, blah, blah. And I know the right. I'm with it. We got to fix stuff. And, but this ain't the time. You need to get more power, as in you need to increase your slim majority in the house so that you can pass things and you need to win the senate and you really 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 need to somehow figure out how you're going to win the white house because it doesn't do you any good to go through all this bullshit and think you're going to change Washington you can't you got to get rid of fucking Biden because he's just going to block everything you want. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get how you you improve things with this. I just don't. I I think this is really fucking dumb. Which goes into the next thing, which is you know fucking crime. you have I know you're gonna follow up on that what's what's your question well the first follow-up would be how are you gonna blame Republicans for this isn't DC run by a bunch of Democrats I'm gonna speak to what the president has done right the president has been very very straightforward about what he has done to make sure that communities are safe American Rescue Plan not one Republican in Congress voted for it not one there were billions of dollars in that plan in that in that act to make sure communities across the country got funding so that they can indeed hire more police officers so that they can keep their communities safe. Republicans had nothing to do with that. They were not involved in that. They decided not to vote on the American Rescue Plan. That's just a fact. So basically we have a Democrat getting carjacked. Right. We have a liberal who is a big guy in New York City, I think. Brooklyn. So the 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 Democrat politicians in DC this guys in New York just killed no no reason. It's just what they do. It's happening in all the blue cities and Jean Pierre worst fucking person ever. She can try to split it and say it's conservatives' faults and we defunded the police. I mean, all the stupid things they've done over the last fucking three years, it's comedic. But it comes back to George Gascon and the liberals. And, and this is literally him being interviewed by El- Alex Michelson, a local reporter. And he once again reiterates that cashless bail will make us all safe. 
Do you think that cash bail is unconstitutional? You know, I believe that how much money you have in your bank account should not determine whether you're going to get out or not. L.A. County District Attorney George Gascone sits down with us on the week L.A. County enacts a judge's order to switch to a so-called zero cash bail system, meaning most suspects will now be quickly released from custody, except for those accused of the most serious crimes. I strongly believe that if you have an open case, you should not be released. If we determine that you're a danger to our community, you should not be released. It doesn't matter how much money you have. 12 L.A. County cities are suing to try and stop this policy out of public safety concerns. Do you agree with them? I don't. I think that fighting this and saying we want to get rid of it altogether and go back to the way the system was before, it flies in the face of reality that the old system wasn't working. Big picture, for people that are concerned that this is going to make L.A. County less safe, Anna, people are going to be held less accountable. What say you? What I say is that there are things that need to be improved. We're going to work on them. I don't believe that long term this is going to make the county less safe. I think it's going to make us safer because it's going to create more room in our county jail to hold the people that are dangerous. He says that includes suspects accused of felony smash and grab robbery rings. Smash and grabs are violent crimes. So these cases are going to go through a magistrate review. We also talked about the recent murder of L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer and his family's frustration that Gascone will not pursue the death penalty for his alleged killer. The pain that the family is going through is immeasurable, right? We are seeking life without the possibility of parole, which is a very, very serious penalty, assuming, by the way, that he's found guilty. The problem with the death penalty is the death penalty doesn't work. Gascone now running for re-election against a crowded field, including many of his own deputy DAs. If you had to real succinctly state the case for your reelection, what is it? I think, you know, we are showing that the, the reforms that we put in place are working. Crime is coming down. It will continue to go down. What do you think is the biggest misconception out there about you? I think that the biggest misconception about me is that I don't care about public safety. And that's so far from the truth. It's so disconnected with what I am, what I do, what I believe in. Why do you think that perception exists? Look, politics are brutal, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and people, in order to, to make a point, they, they have to create a certain view of what it is. What does that even mean? I mean, do they ever think about what they're saying? We're going to be safer because we don't hold people. We let them go back on the street and just recommit. Or... We downsize. You know, the wife's, uh, like I said, the last couple of podcasts, she's addicted to YouTube. And Matt in Oregon has given us a couple channels, donut hole operator, and we've done police activity. And man, you see stuff where muffas are doing some bad muffa. $1,000 cash bond released. Charges dropped. And we're talking people driving like 180 on the highway or 160. It's okay. We don't care. But this is the world they want. This douche fucking nozzle. Great news. Starting this week, all Minnesotans, regardless of legal status, will be obtaining a driver's license that makes Minnesota roads safer. Let's 81K immigrants fully participate in life and shows that our state welcomes all residents. Registered to vote. 
you know, liberals probably stumble across and say, I am a, you know, that like that lady, I'm a misinformation, disinformation uh, goldmine. No. This is their plan. You get them all to vote. It's going to happen. They have an ID. They have a driver's license. And he's the biggest high crimes and misdemeanor fucking president we've ever had. They're trying to make him dark Brandon and shit. We are literally in a war that we're not fighting, but we're supplying. Biden responds to government funding bill being passed. We cannot, under any circumstance, allow America support for Ukraine to be interrupted. It wasn't about soldiers. It wasn't about anything. It was about Ukraine. That was the first thing I was cock trap. Why is Zelensky going to release the dirt? When is, why is Zelensky going to release the dirt he has on the Bidens if money stops? AKA, we cannot under any circumstance allow money from America to Ukraine to be interrupted because if that happens, my crooked deals as dictator will come out. Here, once again, Biden, McCarthy removal of spokes, a speaker worries him because we might not be able to deliver the aid that we promised to Ukraine and he blames super extreme, extreme pooper scooper mega which we just last podcast said we need to stop the divisive politics and I'm going to be the first to do it. I'm going to stop being divisive. Speaker McCarthy, if I can, Speaker McCarthy, then Speaker McCarthy said that the two of you haven't spoken directly in a long time. Why is that? And are you committed to engaging more regularly with the next House Speaker? We had two agreements we shook hands with on. And uh, I assumed he was working with, uh, I knew he was working with the Democrats in the House and Senate. It wasn't for me to do anything. If he wanted to talk to me, I was available. I'm available to whomever wants to talk to me. But the idea that I was going to somehow convince McCarthy to change his view was not reasonable. Does the disarray on Capitol Hill after your conversation with allies yesterday worry you that you won't be able to deliver the aid that the U.S. has promised to Ukraine? It does worry me. And But I know there are a majority of members of the House and Senate in both parties who have said that they support funding Ukraine. With your, uh, I'm gonna be announcing very shortly a major speech I'm gonna make on this issue and why it's critically important for the United States and our allies that we keep our commitment. Mr. President, are you also concerned about the rest of your uh, domestic and foreign policy initiatives being in peril because of what we saw happen yesterday, the dysfunction in Congress, uh, the chaos that we saw on the House side? Does that concern you in any way? The dysfunction always concerns me. The programs that uh, we have uh, argued over, we passed bipartisanly. I'm not concerned that they're going to all of a sudden come in and try to undo them. Although there will be some. There will be some, I'm sure. There's uh, half a dozen or more 
extreme MAGA Republicans, Republicans who would like to eliminate just about everything I've done. Um, but uh, I, I don't. Why is this so important? Why is Ukraine funding so important? It's not soldiers. It's Ukraine. And New York Times, WAPO, we've all reported they got problems. The shit's not getting there. Here's the ex-military officer lying at the podium. And on your first question, still no indication that there's been any kind of widespread corruption or, or inappropriate use of U.S. capabilities. As a matter of fact, I don't know who that asked me before about expenditure rates, but, I mean, oftentimes the stuff that's getting to Ukraine, it's going hand to mouth. I mean, you know, a matter of days before some stuff gets there, and then a matter of days more before it's being used on the battlefield. Not, not every system, of course, but the Ukrainians are in a very active fight. They're using the stuff that's being provided to them. Lies. Fucking lies, followed by lies, surrounded by lies. It's all lies. Even uh, that one right there. Mega are all blah. He said this. He said that. Mega extremists. When he just said, we're not gonna have, not gonna, not gonna. They're garbage. They're just garbage. Here's Liz Cheney. Members of the House Senate are voting to deny Ukraine assistance on the 85th anniversary of Neville Chamberlain. Oh, my God. We're going back to Neville Ch- Chamberlain. Okay. Okay. Which brings us into uh, our short but sweet six to nine round burst with a kick-ass video up front of the new D-V-E-P-S. Never heard of it. Saw it. It's super cool. Brownouts cost a lot of helicopters. Here is a video in regards to it. For MRDEC, we are the overall program lead for the Degraded Visual Environment Program. And that's any environment where you don't really see as well as you see during the day. And it really started back in 03 after we went into Iraq and Afghanistan and we encountered brownout. Uh, We lost some aircraft, and so we wanted to integrate technology that would give our crews the ability to safely land. Because anybody who's heard a helicopter fly or seen it land can see the amount of wind or air that it kicks up. So we call brownout an induced environment because our aircraft kick up so much dust that typically when you land in those environments or you take off, you cannot see out the window anymore. And so the question is, how do you give the crew the right information, the right flight controls, so that they can take off out of that environment if they're taking off out of a desert environment, or land safely in that environment as well. So what we are doing is integrating a lot of different sensors that are on the nose. Just think about like the the bumper radars that we now have on cars that tell you when you're getting near something. Those types, but more technologically advanced. And then we're creating a picture out of that. So it's not a visual picture that you see with your eyes. It's a synthetic picture, a virtual picture, if you will. And it detects all the obstacles. So I'm flying in route down a valley. It will tell me if I have power lines. That's what we want to be able to do. I mean, the example that I, I like to use that, that's most pertinent is if you have a ground element that comes in contact and you have a wounded soldier and you've got that, that golden hour and you have heavy fog, how do I get a medevac out to them so that I can get that soldier loaded on it and get them back to, to a, a hospital? 
we've got to give our aviators the ability because they want to go, they will try to go, they want to save that soldier that's on the ground. That is the sacred bond between Army Aviation and the ground soldier that Army Aviation supports. And so that's really what we're trying to do with all of the efforts throughout AMRDEC. And it's not just AMRDEC, but it's across the Research Development and Engineering Command because this is a much larger effort than just what we're doing here in the AMRDEC. So the technology that we'll be able to deliver will allow them to execute that mission with precision when the weather is not ideal and allow them to do it safely and allow them to return back. Pretty freaking cool. I had literally forgot all about uh, the upgrades. I mean, there it is right there. I, don't, I think I got a picture and everything where it just shows this huge section. Um, it'll show brownout, thermals. I mean, th they have uh, m mapping stuff now that is amazingly better than, you know, 18 years ago when I was in, um, which is crazy. All right, so he said Trump said losers. Let's go through just um, a quick one. Army failing to ensure families don't have fucking asbestos. A veteran texted the VA crisis law and a responder didn't send help. And minutes later, he committed suicide in the vicinity of a VA clinic. How many times has this happened? I mean, it was so much that SEAL team showed it. One in three packed act got zero. Tony applied, but, and I hate when I talk third person, so I guess I'm doing third person again. Tony applied, but he, he didn't go all in. Because I got to be quite honest, I, I really just think they're going to review your shit and this is a way to fuck you. So they're going to reevaluate your whole packet. And the next thing you know, you're not going to get shit. You're not going to get any fucking disability. So I, I'm, I'm not playing with that. And it does not surprise me one bit. They're not going to give out money. They're just not going to. It's more about checking a block. This is something that they, because remember, they are liberal now. They realize, hey, we can really help Biden by doing this PACT Act. And it'll help the Democrats and help them get elected because we're Democrats too. So they go through this process and do it. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's bullshit. People aren't going to get shit. No, they're not going to get fucking anything. This isn't going to improve anybody's life. This is going to just be a fucking circle jerk. So totally not surprised whatsoever. Because they're also woke, they thought there was going to be a shutdown. I covered on the show how many fucking articles just from uh, Military Times saying stuff like, um, you know, how to survive a shutdown when there wasn't going to be one. We haven't had a shutdown since the fucking 90s, for God's sake, or early 2000s. This has been so fucking long ago. So they canceled people's PCSs. Understand 7,500 PCSs is pretty much every PCS, and that means some people ship their shit, some people don't have shit, and they have to go re-in-process in their unit. They're going to have to change units, which, Jesus Christ, that's fucking horrible. For the 13th time under Biden... Not all under Biden. We're leaking sensitive items. If you noticed, you didn't hear it in the media. Because they don't want to hurt Biden. Tactical field rollover. Not Biden's fault. Two soldiers killed, 12 injured. That's fucking horrible. 
A missing recruiting goal. The Army's going to make them a new specialty. They announced a failure. The change unveiled by Army Senator Warmoth, who thinks there's no woke, but talks woke. Uh, the service has struggled to bring crews. Da, 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 and evidently, we're going to have to make a transformative change. Service planning a pilot program, creating an MS listed as 42T, dedicated Army recruiter who will be called talent acquisition. It's not going to change it. Local Boston fucking place, or it's in the Army-Navy, so it's in that area, um, because the game's going to be at Gillette Stadium this year. They're putting uh, illegals in there, so all the people that booked don't have a bed anymore. That's just fucking garbage. This dude, Pentagon official, working with the Biden team at a Dog fighting ring. That's not big news. And last but not least, I'm going to save this for another day because right now I, I don't want to talk about it because it angers me. Traveling with Millie, our reporter recalls how America's top soldier was most at home with his troops. And you know what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to do this today as the uh, This is America. Yeah, we're going to read this with uh, piano music. Which brings us to our... Uh, fucking bias section our first is whoopee saying that if you even criticize the prosecutors it's like being a nazi or something i am a politic the media jerk off of the week Well, let me tell you what he actually has to keep in mind. When you threaten people, when you suggest that people do things to other people who are elected officials, yep. that's against the law. Right. It's against the, the law. The laws haven't it stopped is. him people yet. People and people, well, it yeah, hasn't, but, but it that's, why I'm, that's why I'm going to keep saying it until somebody says, listen, you are suggesting people hurt Letitia James. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. on the way. You yeah. are, and you know, Millie. and, and General Milley, and we're not putting up with this. Yeah. The same way you went after <clears throat> Kathy... Hokel? Hokel. No, no, no. no, no. Kathy, uh, oh, my God, I can't think of her name. The, 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 the stand-up. The oh, comic. Griffin. Griffin. Oh, Kathy the Griffin. same way you went after Kathy Griffin because yeah. you didn't like what yeah. she did? Yeah. That's the same way people need to recognize yeah. we need to do the same and let you know you're not allowed to do that anymore. You can't, you can't do that anymore. It's like we, we said to her, you can't do this again. You cannot do this anymore. And I believe they're going to stop you. All right. Next one is Robert Wright. And this was on um, CBS Sunday morning. And tell me how this belongs on CBS Sunday morning. This is basically an infomercial to vote Democrat. We averted a government shutdown for now, but this kind of last-minute and temporary perils of Pauline drama is itself harmful to America. Millions of people didn't know if they'd continue to get disaster relief or clean water protection or food safety inspections, cancer research, nutrition programs for children. Federal workers such as air traffic controllers and those in the military would have been required to work without pay 
even though most would have gotten back pay once the shutdown ended. Most low-wage federal contractors, on the other hand, would have been out of luck. The blame falls squarely on MAGA extremists acting on Donald Trump's orders, hard-right House Republicans who would have taken America hostage. There was no reason for this close call. In May, House Republican leaders agreed to a very specific deal to fund the government. Then they reneged on it, proposing instead to cut housing subsidies for the poor, just as soaring rents drive a national affordability crisis, taking nutritional assistance away from more than a million women and children, cutting home heating assistance just as we head into the winter months. At least the Senate had the sense to come up with a bipartisan continuing resolution to keep the government open. This shootout inside the Republican Party was all about showing Trump who was willing to fight the hardest, regardless of whether any of it made any sense even for them. The rest of the country was almost caught in the crossfire. And we're still not out of the woods. The continuing resolution just kicks the can down the road. My advice to the rest of America, well, remember this as we head into election season and vote accordingly. You know, the media shadily does stuff like this. You bring in a guy that used to be on a, um, a fucking staff of a president and most people don't remember because they're stupid and they come out and they just basically are experts on how to be Democrats. It's bullshit. The next one, literally... Washington Post Costa reports. What does searing experience of covering the Catholic Church in Boston do to form you when it's time to cover Trump, Marty Baron? Well, it's a form that we always have to confront power. We always have to hold power to account. And I'm going to put it back to back with 60 minutes, all right, bringing on the Attorney General. And basically saying what an incredibly unbiased job he's doing. We need to focus on the institution, not the individual priests. You may think you know Marty Barron from Spotlight. And show me this was systemic, that it came from the top down. The Oscar-winning film about the Boston Globe's investigation of the Catholic Church. We're going after the system. But to know the real Marty Barron, is to read his new book, Collision of Power, which takes readers inside what he did after Spotlight, editing the Washington Post with billionaire Amazon founder Jeff Bezos as its owner, and with Donald Trump in the White House. What did that searing experience of covering the Catholic Church in Boston do to inform you when it came time to cover Trump? Well, uh, it informed me that we always have to confront power. We always have to hold power to account. We do not have one rule for Republicans and another rule for Democrats. We don't have one rule for foes and another for friends. We don't have one rule for the powerful and another for the powerless, for the rich or for the poor based on ethnicity. We have only one rule. And that one rule is that we follow the facts and the law 
and we reach the decisions required by the Constitution, and we protect civil liberties. Are you essentially saying, as Attorney General, to the American people, trust me? Well, in the end, I, I suppose it does, in the end, come down to trust, but it's not just me. It's decades of the, of the norms of this department that are part of the DNA of the career prosecutors who are running the investigation um, and supervising the investigations that you're talking about. Former President Trump faces two federal trials, one for allegedly hoarding classified documents and covering it up, the other for allegedly conspiring to seize power after the 2020 election. Attorney General Garland has said little about this, and we wanted to understand why. Well, I think the first thing to understand is because these are pending cases, because there are two federal indictments, the long-standing rule in the Justice Department is that we can't comment about pending cases. Where does that rule come from? What's the point? One reason is to protect the privacy and the civil liberties of the person who's under investigation. It's to protect witnesses who also may or may not become public later in an investigation. And then finally, it's to protect the investigation itself. Um, investigations proceed in many different directions, eventually coming to a fruition, a decision to charge or not charge about a particular thing or not. And if witnesses and potential subjects knew everything that the investigators had previously looked at and were about to look at, it could well change testimony. It could well make witnesses unavailable to us. And this is not peculiar to the Trump investigations? Well, this is a rule for all investigations. This is part of what we call our justice manual. It's been there for probably at least 30 years and probably a bit longer than that. And then there was this article that came out, and it's a Katie Couric saying, Obama owes me a big bouquet of flowers for the Palin interview. So she's admitting she did it on purpose. Here's Politico covering for the Nazi ovation. Then saying that the social medias are killing the liberal media. Then NBC literally saying that Trump is Mr. Negative. And lastly, fact checker discredited themselves in the service of transgender stigma, which is going to take us to our frickin' woke section, which, by the way, is going to be pretty um, slim today because, surprisingly, there hasn't been a lot. We're going to stop with the Tech Brothers infiltrating a women's-only conference by identifying as non-binary, which got in. And then there's another one showing that men invaded a freaking tech conference supposed to be for women because now you're playing the fuck fuck goose that there are no women but what you'll see in our articles of course is oh yeah there's plenty of women motherfucker you sexist whether joe biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left the dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. So a bunch of men just infiltrated a women's only space, and it's causing a lot of problems for the women. But it's not a locker room. It's not a bathroom. It was a tech conference. Career conference for females in tech was taken over by male attendees. 
They were there just purely for the career fair. Social media clips filmed at the Grace Hopper, the world's largest gathering of women technologists, show men standing in line to meet with recruiters. This is a space for women in tech. This is one of those few limited resources that isn't for you, it's for us. Some of the male attendees reportedly lied about being non-binary just to get in. But it's interesting that the large majority of the people that actually ended up in the event had name tags with he, him, and have no searchable history of identifying as non-binary. Several tech workers defended the men for trying to capitalize on job opportunities not meant for them, seeing that the entire concept was wrong. Let's be honest, there is no need for a conference just for women because if it was the opposite for men, then it would be sexist. Just because you are a woman doesn't give you the right to talk to a big firm recruiter. Guys work just as hard and they don't get that chance. I mean, really, how could you blame these guys? I mean, six-figure jobs at YouTube or at Facebook and all you got to do is be a woman? Well, sure, sign me up for that gender non-binary thing, I suppose, and, and then I'll just get a, a nice shave. Listen, when we live in a world where Elizabeth Warren can call herself a Native American and secure a huge job at Harvard reserved for actual Native Americans, then all bets are off, aren't they? But here's a really important lesson. You know, we've been told for decades that we want to encourage women to get into science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, the STEM life. We were told that women through systematic sexism have been kept down in the STEM world. And so we want to do whatever we can to lift them up and open these doors for them. So here we've got a conference specifically for women who have gone through all the rigors of getting those degrees in the STEM categories. And now it's been infiltrated by men who want those jobs, too. And the very same women who set aside these jobs and set aside these programs they're probably the ones who really want to make sure that we're kind and loving and compassionate to the transgender community, right? I mean, why should you be upset that a transgender woman wants to swim in a race against biological women? In fact, don't even say biological women because that's discriminatory. That's bigoted. Well, those same women who have created this world and created this new reality, they're the ones who are now a little outraged that their conference has been, well, exploited. Exploited by people who have learned what the new rules are. Maybe this might actually bring a halt to this madness. Career conference for females in tech was taken over by male attendees. They were there just purely for the career fair. Social media clips filmed at the Grace Hopper, the world's largest gathering of women technologists, show men standing in line to meet with recruiters. This is a space for women in tech. This is one of those few limited resources that isn't for you, it's for us. Some of the male attendees reportedly lied about being non-binary just to get in. But it's interesting that the large majority of the people that actually ended up in the event had name tags with he, him, and have no searchable history of identifying as non-binary. Several tech workers defended the men for trying to capitalize on job opportunities not meant for them, seeing that the entire concept was wrong. Let's be honest, there is no need for a conference just for women because if it was the opposite for men, then it would be sexist. Just because you are a woman doesn't give you the right to talk to a big firm recruiter. Guys work just as hard and they don't get that chance. So before we get all up in um, all of these articles, um, I missed one. Which one is it? 
our uh, censorship, which I, I got to make a bumper for censorship. Here are five examples of big tech censorship just for the month of fucking September. MRC study exploiting Google's anti-Republican search violence. Nobody covered that. Instagram fact checks Chris Plante's meme mocking electric vehicles. YouTube deletes Candace Owens' video critical of homosexual relationships. Negative impact on society, which is actually science, dude. It's shown. Harvard study. YouTube hypocritically demonetizes Russell Brandt. And X's community notes constitute censorship by another name. X's former Twitter community notes. And they're saying that that's now racist and homophobic and all that shit. Simultaneously, the articles are a list of stories and topics you could not write about. First of all, the Church of Climate Change. Vivek Raswamy's roast MSNBC host for false climate change claims. The politics of alarmism and election fraud. And under all of this, you're going to have Hillary Clinton prepared to push Russia 2.0, the most despicable phone or voter fraud. So that's why there's no election fraud report for Trump this week. Why isn't stolen election conspirator Stacey Abrams behind bars? COVID. I mean, it just goes on. on. You could run all day stories just on our media's censorship and bias by omission. It's the worst form. You just don't cover it. It's like the story doesn't exist. And we've been watching it the whole time under Biden. They just don't cover stuff. Fairfax County Public School Chief Equity Officer hiding its student re-education training from parents. Within this, they're saying you need to train your parents on climate change and gender because they just don't understand. And it's your job to retrain them. Telling kids that. CNN saying that parents shouting at children could be as harmful as sexual or physical abuse a study finds. What was the study? Oh, it was a bunch of liberals. Okay. That's fucking great. Kind of a funny one. Today is the 1st of October. I'm not going to make the post I usually do, but I know of your NB, non-black, and you use spooky... I will not vibe with you. I won't show up to your streams. I won't raid you, and I'll just avoid you. I've been vocal enough on this. So the entire world just sent back Spooky, because Spooky now, I guess, is also racist. I mean, I, I don't know. Here's some tranny shit. Dear everyone, please stop saying, hey guys, and email seminars on addressing people in an opening speaker program. Hi folks, it's perfect. It's inclusive and gender neutral. Also, many use guys, which is more informal than folks, and it carries a sense of close connection of friendship. That's grand, but in a professional and inclusive environment, folks is a better word use. Guys tends to be used by young people speaking to other young people. And I'm now following this fucking moron who is now telling... They just... Where do they think they can just tell everybody what to think, what to say, how to breathe? I mean, where where in the 
fuck do they get this? Last time we showed mosquitoes, things that white families do, like reading to their children. Woke K-12 teachers opposed to school promoting positive activities like family reading to kids because that's what white people do. And here's the receipts. Article shows that with evaded racism, the blame is um, usually placed on students of color and families for academic struggles because of their cultural um, practices or lifestyle or economic, socioeconomic status. Instead of looking at shifts um, in the oppressive or racist policies or structures, they address these um, challenges, um, encouraging students to change their behavior or families to do more um, things that more like white families do, like reading to their children or adopting like a growth mindset and kind of like, um, just yeah, changing their own mindset to fit the school's, the school culture mindset. What the actual fuck is that shit, man? Then we got this fucking winner, winner's chicken dinner. Did you know that returning women to the role of wife and mother was a major facet of the Nazi party in the Third Reich? But I, I thought there's no gender. Once again, I thought there's no fucking gender. For years, left wing, this is one of the replies. I guess I should have read it. Um, for years, left wing women have been have said right-wing women are voting against their own interests and aligning with people who hate and want to control them. Right-wing women have pushed back on that and defend Republican men as long as I've been alive. But lately, well, here's a dude who wants to be the first person to get an abortion. Because that's what you guys say. There's, there's no gender. This one, why do men back up cars? It was a whole bunch of gendered language. And I did not fucking like it. Another question. Can I have both a vagina and a penis? If so, how does that work? I've done that surgery. Uh, a few years ago, I had a college-age student uh, that was born with male anatomy. And she said that she identified as female, always wanted a vagina, but got sexual gratification from her phallus and did not want to have to sit to urinate. And so I said, okay, um, normally when we do a penile inversion vaginoplasty, we use the penile skin to create the vagina. And if the, there's not enough penile skin, sometimes at the very top, we do a scrotal skin graft. So I said, you know, we won't have that skin to use, but if you don't mind me giving you a small tummy tuck scar, I can harvest full thickness skin graft from there and create a vagina. And so she said, okay. And we did the surgery and she healed great. Everything went really well. And that was a few years ago. I haven't heard any complaints. So that's another example of how here at the Crane Center, we're, we're willing to recognize this is your body, these are your needs. And uh, one of the reasons why I did so much training in two different surgical subspecialties is so that I could create safe surgeries for patients that don't have standard requests. 
When did biology go away? Oh, I know when. Now they want, and we had 49 days, right? 49 holidays, but glad. 2SL, two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, questioning intersex plus history month take place in October. Throughout this month, we celebrate the history and achievement of that community and champion inclusion acceptance of all. As a gay man, this does not speak for me. Please remove us from homosexuals from this. We want no part of it. Dear Lord, now we have a second month that dedicates an erasing actual gay and lesbian history and placing it with propaganda? They're just all gay people. I think it's fucking perfect. But the problem is, PBS NewsHour gives 90% of its time to radical left. Now, why is that a problem? Because you and I, we fucking pay for this shit. We're the ones that got to pay for all this indoctor fucking nation. It's just indoctor fucking nation. So, we are going to go into a This is America. Um, I'm going to save the Millie. Um, you know, I want to I want to give good deference to that. I got a video I really want to play. So, I'm going to save it for next podcast. But I wanted to get in a... Uh, let's go lighter fare. Let's do a lighter fare first because I've got some good videos. So there's going to be three videos. The first two are going to be uh, debunking taxpayer funding of abortion and Jamal Bowman full pulls the fire alarm. It's then going to go into a rather long soundbite, but I'm short today, so I'm going to get it out there. Here's the true story as from Black Rifle Coffee. I was going to play it earlier in the military section, but I didn't think I'd have time, but I do have enough time, so I'm going to play it now. And it is, once again, that's happened in October. Oh, so long ago. Uh, we're going to play that. So it's, it's 20 minutes long, so it's a little long. If you don't want to listen, fast forward 20 minutes. Hmm, okay, so we gotta make sure we build a Planned Parenthood in this poor community. And this one. Oh, we need these poor people to get way more abortions. Yeah, and some more here? Okay, if we do that, we can reduce the population by millions. Uh, this is extremely messed up. He's attacking poor people! I'm a brilliant intellectual. As am I. The two of us are sick of dealing with troglodytes, and so we moved into a bomb shelter so we wouldn't catch the stupid. Now we pass our intelligence on by debunking YouTube videos. We are... The, the Debunkers. This is an abortion rights demonstration in 1972. People marched to demand the right to legal abortions. And the next year, the Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade granted them that right. But fast forward to almost 50 years, and protests for abortion rights are still happening. Pay very close attention to this. Thankfully, Roe has been overturned. But this video was produced prior to that point. All of the rhetoric you're going to hear from them on abortion now must be contrasted against the arguments they were making just two years ago. You're likely going to be hearing more safe, legal, and rare style talking points now. But this is how they discuss the matter when it's legal to kill a baby nationwide. 
In essence, from Roe being decided until its overturning, virtually every left-wing op-ed, think piece, or article was about how legal abortion on demand nationwide wasn't good enough. That 60 million babies had died since 1973, but we missed a few. And that it's a tragedy that evil Republicans prevented that number from being even higher. A lot of the fight over abortion policy centers on restrictive laws set by state governments and the courts that uphold or strike down those laws including the Supreme Court. But the president and Congress hold a unique power over abortion access because they have the final say on the federal dollars that support it. In every federal budget for the past 43 years, among all the programs the government funds, like the military, foreign aid, and education, there's also language about something the government can't spend federal money on. Coverage of abortion, except in the case of rape or incest, or if the pregnancy would place the woman in danger of death. This provision is called the Hyde Amendment, and it disproportionately affects low-income people who rely on federally funded health care. By definition, any time the government doesn't pay for anything, it disproportionately affects people who can afford it less. But you never hear the left taking that angle when discussing school choice or tax cuts for larger families. Nothing that helps poor people have children, just things that help poor people eliminate themselves. Every president since 1976 has supported the Hyde Amendment by approving an annual federal budget from Congress that's included it. But the 2020 election could change this, because while one candidate supports the Hyde Amendment, the other has vowed to oppose it. The Hyde Amendment's induction into the federal budget can be traced back to Roe v. Wade. In the years immediately following this decision, the federal government paid for abortions through Medicaid, which accounted for roughly a third of all abortion procedures. But the anti-abortion backlash was swift, including in Congress. In 1976, Illinois Representative Henry Hyde proposed the abortion-restricting Hyde Amendment during an annual budget hearing. It passed with 199 to 165 vote, ending up in that year's spending bill where it has stayed ever since, voted for by anti-abortion politicians and pro-abortion rights politicians. In every case, these budgets have been approved and signed by the sitting president. Interesting, how mysterious. Now, why, oh why, might they continually vote for this? Probably in part because a majority of Americans consistently want them to vote for it. In 2023, a Marist poll by the Knights of Columbus found that 60% of Americans said they oppose using taxpayer dollars to pay for abortions, with only 40% supporting it, mirroring a 2016 poll by Politico and Harvard, which found that 58% of likely voters opposed Medicaid funding for abortion, as opposed to 36% in favor of it. As it turns out, most Americans, even those who consider themselves to be pro-choice, don't want to be a participant in the funding of someone else's abortion. Because of all the things our taxes could be getting us more of, dead babies tend not to be at the top of most people's list. Who would have thought? In 1977, Henry Hyde made the intentions of his amendment clear. He said, I certainly would like to prevent, if I could legally, anybody having an abortion. A rich woman, a middle class woman, or a poor woman. Unfortunately, the only vehicle available is the Medicaid bill. Good for him. He wasn't able to save the children of rich and middle class women who would find ways to get abortions anyway, but he heroically saved millions. Indeed. While it's more than fair to say that at a bare minimum, those who understand abortion as murder shouldn't be forced to pay for it, and to require them to do so was a violation of their religious liberty, Hyde was correct in taking it a step further. The goal isn't merely to not be involved with abortion, it's to stop it altogether. And we're getting closer. 
There's a handful of agencies directly affected by the Hyde Amendment that provide health care through federal funding, like the Indian Health Service and the Peace Corps. But Medicaid is the biggest. It pays for basic health services for just over 76 million people in the U.S. who live near the poverty line or are disabled. Part of Medicaid's funding comes from federal dollars. The other part comes from the state you live in. Abortion care in the United States is largely driven by where you live, both in terms of the availability of services and in addition to that, the ability of insurance to pay for it. These 16 states will help Medicaid users cover the cost of abortion. But these 34 states and Washington, D.C. won't. Anyone seeking an abortion there has to pay the full bill. That means nearly 8 million people of childbearing age who live in these states aren't covered for abortion services because of the Hyde Amendment. These Medicaid restrictions place the biggest burden on low-income people. Again, anything short of unlimited funding for a government program will place the biggest burdens on low-income people. That's how money works. We could basically quit doing the work we do if the Hyde Amendment didn't exist. Or if you wanted to go to heaven. Lori Roberts manages an abortion fund in Alabama, one of the most restrictive states when it comes to abortion access. An abortion fund is a organization that helps people access abortion care. You know what would be better than an organization that helps people kill babies? What? One which helps people get news. Well then, thank goodness for today's sponsor, Grow News! Face it, you're ugly. But you could be ugly and know stuff about the news. Ground News is the first news comparison platform. It allows you to sort through different news stories and see how the left reports on it as opposed to the right, making you a fact-checking whiz. You'll definitely want to check out the Blind Spot feature. It's an extremely useful tool that shows you specific stories that have gone underreported by the left or right. Like this story, which alleges that Fauci secretly went to CIA HQ to influence the COVID-19 origins probe. Zero percent of left-wing outlets are reporting on it. If you scroll down a little further, you can see each of the news outlets that have reported on the story, as well as each of the sources, headlines, and their political bias and factuality rating. So get started by going to ground.news slash freedom tunes. That's ground.news slash freedom tunes. T-O-O-N-S. Ground.news slash freedom tunes. Now back to the debunking. It can be anything that removes the barriers to getting to and from the clinic. And then there's just direct financial support for the abortion procedure. But at the roughly three minute mark, less than a minute ago, Vox said that anyone seeking an abortion has to pay the full bill. So are abortion funds helping to pay for these things or not? They are paying for them, but they can't kill every infant. And of course, that's a serious problem for the left. The price of an abortion in the first 10 weeks of pregnancy without coverage is roughly $500. And it gets more expensive in later weeks of pregnancy. Wait, so let me get this straight. Abortions that happen after 10 weeks are so insignificant as to not be worth legislating or even discussing, but they're a common enough occurrence that they need to be funded by the government and are a legitimate excuse for providing financial aid to infant slaughter. That's a lot of money for someone who qualifies for Medicaid. To be eligible, you generally have to make less than 138% of the federal poverty line. For a single person, that's less than an $18,000 annual income. For a family of two, it's $24,000.
And for a family of three, it's about $30,000. Setting aside the morality of abortion and strictly arguing the financials here, as disgusting as that is, Planned Parenthood performed roughly 40% of all the abortions in the U.S. in 2022. And they set their price range for an in-clinic abortion between $600 to $800 for the first trimester. Annual reports for 2021 to 2022 state that its excess revenue over expenses was $204.7 million in 2022. It's second highest ever after 2017, while its net assets stand at just over 2.3 billion. Why is it the pro-abortion side's problem is all with government not funding this quote healthcare unquote, and not with the organization turning a profit from what it considers to be essential healthcare? Hypothetically, what guarantee do they have that organizations simply wouldn't follow the same pattern that universities did with subsidized student loans by simply increasing prices when the government offers to pay for more of it? Because of racial disparities in our country, Medicaid recipients are more likely to be Black or Hispanic. Oh, there it is. I knew at some point they would complain we're allowing too many Black babies to be born. They're already disproportionately likely to be aborted, but it's not good enough yet, is it? I can personally say what it was like for me, right? I went to the clinic, I went for my first appointment, I scheduled my procedure, I wanted to, I wanted to have a procedure, and I couldn't. I didn't have the money in time. That doesn't mean that I don't love my child. It doesn't mean any of those things. But what it means is that I went through a lot of emotional and physical trauma because what should have been a decision that was only mine was taken away from me. I oppose this law because it's the reason my child is alive is a wild argument. Seriously, the optics on this are completely insane, and I'm always shocked when the left is tone deaf enough to engage in this. But let me be clear, saying, I'm upset I couldn't abort my child, exposes way more about you than it does any laws that you believe are unfair. My child is here because of the Hyde Amendment. I hate my child. F*** the Hyde Amendment. This ad paid for by Sociopaths for America. That child and millions of other Americans owe their lives to the Hyde Amendment. And that's not an embellishment. It's estimated that around 2 million people owe their lives to the Hyde Amendment. And that's as of 2016. While it's difficult to pinpoint exactly who those millions are, people who have lived despite attempted abortions often share their testimonials, and unsurprisingly, a lot of them are grateful to be alive. Even if the left isn't. Who would have thought? A study of 269 women from 2015 to 2017 in Louisiana, a state that doesn't cover abortion through Medicaid, shows that 29% of women would have had an abortion had Medicaid covered it. Which is the intended effect for anti-abortion advocates. Fewer people having abortions. Can you imagine anything worse? Whatever happened to safe, legal, and rare? Oh, was that always bull or something? Huh. Abortion restrictions like the Hyde Amendment have made their way into other types of health insurance coverage, too. In 2010, Congress didn't pass the Affordable Care Act until it included language saying marketplace plans don't have to cover abortion. Today, these states won't cover it under marketplace plans. And these states even restrict private insurance companies from covering the procedure. And so that more and more people are affected and they may not even know that they've been affected until they seek abortion care. Many people might also not know that despite restrictions on the use of federal funds, places like Planned Parenthood still manage to find ways to use federal tax dollars to fund abortions, including billing federal taxpayers for abortions in New York. In 2008, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Inspectors General examined billings by family planning programs in New York. During one four-year audit period, HHS found that hundreds of thousands of abortion-related claims were billed unlawfully 
unlawfully to Medicaid by improperly labeling them family funding, and thus receiving the higher federal share of the reimbursement. The types of unlawful billing identified in audits included billing and being reimbursed by Title 19 agencies for medications and or services provided in connection with an abortion procedure in violation of the Hyde Amendment, a process known as unbundling or fragmentation. But it's the Medicaid restrictions, both federal and state, that specifically target poor people. Targets them for what? Not being killed? Oh no! Abortion is like many other services. If you have means, you can either have insurance that pays for a service or you can afford to pay for these services out of pocket. And if it's not offered in a place that's close to you, you can afford to either travel, um, get lodging, uh, take time off of work, get childcare. All of those things are things that are available to higher income women that may not be available to lower income women. Again, yes, that's how money works. The two candidates in the 2020 election are solidly in their partisan corners on the issue of abortion access. But that wasn't always the case. Let's just take a minute here and look at these two images of Biden and Trump. Are they obviously using a better photograph or one over the other? I can't vote for him. He looks mean in that picture. Joe Biden took office in the Senate in 1973, the same year Roe v. Wade passed. And he's supported the Hyde Amendment since it entered the federal spending bill in 1976. But in 2020, this is the landscape. The state you live in and how much money you have are the biggest factors in whether someone can access an abortion. Which is why Joe Biden, as a presidential candidate, says he's changed his stance. If I believe health care is a right as I do, I can no longer support an amendment that makes that right dependent on someone's zip code. Well, you're not wrong that Biden changing his mind probably had something to do with finances. Obviously, we're riding with the benefit of hindsight, but for the sake of keeping the audience updated, in March of 2022, Congress passed a $1.5 trillion spending bill that still included the Hyde Amendment despite Democrats omitting it when it was submitted in 2021. A silver lining to a catastrophic... You just pulled the fire alarm. Then which handle is for the door? There's a law of probability that if they shoot enough rockets, they're going to shoot a helicopter down. I heard it on the radio before I saw the aircraft. We've been hit, we've been hit. Some more followed up with bird down, bird down, bird down. Snipers were engaging. The miniguns were engaging. For the first time in my career, we were on the defense, and that shook me. My name is Brad Holling, retired service member, still working with Department of Defense. First group I served with was seven special forces. At that time, there was a lot of involvement in Central America between Nicaragua and El Salvador. 
From there, I went to 10 Special Forces, about six years. Gary Gordon and I were on the same team. He was my senior engineer. From there, I went to a special unit called PSSE. Physical security support element was a clandestine unit that was operating inside Berlin. Five teams, all special forces. These guys would all speak German, develop a cover in Germany. When the Soviet made their push across Europe, which everybody was sure they were gonna, those guys would already be in place, ready to conduct unconventional warfare operations and disrupt the Soviets from behind after they'd passed through Berlin. Very classified unit that was only declassified in 2016. When the wall fell, I tried out for selection for one of the special mission units. I logged the journal, and the only reason why I remember a lot of the events is because I can go back to this journal. 26 August 1993, we deployed to Somalia. Somalia was in great famine. The United Nations said, hey, we need to intervene. We need to get food supplies there. Mohammed Farrar Adid was a clan leader and certainly the most dangerous warlord in Somalia. He was the general of the Somalia National Alliance very well educated, training from some that had fought in Afghanistan against the Soviets. Somalia has always been clan warfare. The different clans were trying to compete to own Somalia. Well, one of the ways you could do that was to own the supplies that are now coming in to feed the famine. Indeed, and his clan started to hit some of the UN supply lines trying to take these goods. They ended up slaughtering a bunch of Paki's part of the UN process. After killing the Paki's in the UN force, Task Force Ranger was formed, trained specifically to go after Adid. We set up shop in a huge hangar on the airfield where we would conduct operations all the way up to October 3rd. My job as part of Task Force Ranger was that of a sniper. Only by luck, I ended up actually being on the same team once again with my good friend, Gary Gordon. Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart, they were my teammates. On October 3rd, I was out on the beach when we got the next call. It was a meeting of a deed, a bunch of his lieutenants. The area where that was, Bahar Market, was home ground for Adid's forces. The plan was to contain that target building where these officers were put out on four corners, ranger blocking positions. The assault force was a little bit older than some of the blocking force, so most of us had more experience. And we are gonna go get those guys, we are gonna pull them off target. It was 2.55 or 3 o'clock, bright daylight, and we were wheels up and moving to target. Two sniper platforms, Super 6-1 carried one sniper team, Super 6-2, the bird I was on, carried another sniper team. We were gonna fly opposing in a circle to help with outer perimeter. They decided because of how many people they thought they were gonna have to pull off target and where it was located that it might be better to go in with the ground convoy. And they were gonna load these guys up in five tons and then support the convoy back to the hangar. Getting in on that target, there was an incident with one of the Rangers, Blackburn, who on infill had stepped out of the helicopter. He'd missed the rope. Basically, he'd fallen 60 feet. He needed immediate medical attention. 
That was the first shift from the plan. Now we needed to get Todd Blackburn off of target and back for medical aid. A small element did just that. On their way back, they started taking significant contact. My ranger school buddy from only a year and a half prior, a kid named Dominic Pila took around manning the machine gun, the first casualty of the fight. For me, the perspective was a little different because I was up in the air. My role on the third was, again, a sniper on the same bird with Randy Shugart and Gary Gordon. What you see is chaos, and you see confusion, and that was real. That was the day. The whole time we were there, I always thought that there's a law of probability that if they shoot enough rockets, they're going to shoot a helicopter down. I heard it on the radio before I saw the aircraft. We've been hit, we've been hit, and then some more followed up with bird down, bird down, bird down. You're kidding me. We come in around, I see 6-1 crashed in the road, and I saw movement. I saw Danbush crawl out first. I see Jim McMahon emerge, all other snipers in that bird. Danbush was aggressively trying to fight something down the road. He got hit and just went straight down. Our elements are split. We've got people pinned down over here. We've got people who've moved to this building over there trying to protect Super 6-1. They're occupying different buildings. Snipers were engaging. The miniguns were engaging. For the first time in my career, I was in a defensive posture. We were on the defense and that shook me. This is the 1911 that I carried in Somalia. I happened to be fortunate enough to fit the criteria to buy the weapon back. Great gun, still shoots a lot better than I can shoot it. It shoots like a house on fire. The other weapons that we carried over there on the bird for the uh, snipers, Randy did carry the M21 the whole time in Somalia. That was his preferred gun. We did take some bolt guns. We had some 300s. Uh, we tried it with the aerial gunnery stuff and found that it wasn't the best weapon system. For the rest of us, we'd gone back to, you know, basically the CAR-15. What we found was in, in that helicopter with the vibration, it was just easier at times to use our 5.56 semi-auto platform and walk them in to your target. But those, those were the primary weapon systems that they used on the sniper platforms. This bird is down. We've got pilots who are pinned. They can't get them out. There's a big movement starting to go towards this Super 6-1. We're one bird that's trying to cover this whole area that's suddenly gotten bigger. They call in Mike Durant's bird because what they have are two miniguns. The CSAR bird came in. Air Force guys on it. We're going down the rope. They're going to help build this perimeter around the crash site. That bird took an RPG. An amazing pilot, Dan Gelata, held that aircraft until the last guy got off the rope before he pulled forward. And spilling fuel, he got that thing back to the airfield. We're opposite of Durant's bird, Michael Durant and his crew, they get hit. This is the third helicopter hit by an RPG. 
By the time that bird went down, the comms were total chaos. Everybody's world was in a window this big, and it was as bad or worse than the window next to him. I look up and the door gunner, Paul Shannon, gets shot through the hands. The gun goes quiet. I got up, helped him with his hand, I gave him my car 15, and I ended up on the minigun, and I never got off the minigun. We could see Durant's helicopter. There had been requests made to go in and try and assist them. Gary and Randy went there believing that they were gonna be able to recover these guys and get them out, and I believed it. When they left, I didn't have any feeling that that was gonna be the last time I saw them. But I will forever remember seeing them leave that aircraft. I can still picture it. I can even tell you Gary was out first and Randy got out after Gary was, was on the ground. What actually unfortunately happens is the crowds did realize this bird went down, but their cover was our bird. While we were over top of Gary and Randy, we got hit by that RPG. That RPG came up through the floor, went through my leg, and then up into the engine compartment. I still remember the flash being first, the heat that followed, and the immense overpressure in that bird as that round detonated. And I remember the unbelievable violence that airframe started shaking. Pilots flying that aircraft, Jim Yacone and Mike Gafina, took that bird with whatever it had to fly, somehow got just enough lift to take us a couple blocks away from the last crash site and basically put us down into the port with a very hard landing, but we survived it. Looking over at Paul and asking him, where's my gun? I'm thinking, what's next is the firefight. My second concern, can I stop myself from bleeding out? Crawled over to the other crew chief, asked to get his belt. Those guys helped me get the tourniquet on. To control my heart, I really worked on trying to remain calm. I get word that there's a helicopter coming in. At that time, they really didn't want anybody else flying, but Dan Gelata, who got shot with the Seesaw bird, heard the call and he said, I'm going. He went over to a bird that hadn't even been completely certified. He basically said, doesn't matter. I don't, I don't care where it's at. If it flies, I'm taking it. And he got in that bird and uh, he came, getting me to that mash unit. My goal was to stay calm, to stay conscious. I'm holding my own tourniquet. It wasn't tied down. They'd, they'd given me a big OVM screwdriver out of the back of the helo somewhere, and we'd cranked it up. And I rolled into that mash holding that tourniquet. I wasn't quite ready to let go because I didn't know if they knew I was holding my own tourniquet. I was having a discussion with, with one of the medics on, on the med team saying, someone's got to grab this screwdriver because when I let go, you know, I didn't know if that was the final gush and I'm going to bleed out or what. And I remember someone saying, I got it. You're okay. I let go and I let them do their thing. Most of it, I don't recall. Maybe it's intentional. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I grew up in upstate New York. A mass casualty by definition is an event that you just don't expect. 
any situation where your number of people that are injured or wounded or need caring for exceed your capacity. 3 October, it was a Sunday. John Holcomb, who had been embedded from Task Force Ranger, had the only communications with the Rangers. He comes in and he goes, we're in trouble. The unit's been hit pretty bad and we got a lot of casualties. And then we said, how much? He goes, we don't know. We just got to get ready. 5.30ish, we hear helicopters coming in. One of the little birds brought in a couple casualties. Dan Bush and Jim Smith came in. Uh, unfortunately, we, we couldn't save Danny Bush. More people are coming in. We're getting everybody set up. Shortly after that is when I met Brad. He was fully conscious and fully in control. Looking down, I see his leg and I see sort of bandages and just blood all around his knee. And I look down and I see a belt and a screwdriver that was this long. We had no combat tourniquets. This is one of the lessons learned that we developed after that. And I'm like, this just, just doesn't look good. And I said, hi, I'm Dr. Yorchek. I'm here to take care of you. And as I'm saying that, I literally have an 18 gauge needle, which is used to draw blood and stuff. I buried the needle in the bottom of his foot and he didn't flinch. And that's when I said, I'm not sure I can save your leg and I may need to take it off above the knee. And he just looks at me and says, Doc, don't worry about me. He rolls his head and he looks at the table next to me and he goes, you gotta take care of my buddy. He's hurt worse than I am. I'm like, okay, we're gonna get you taken care of. John? Brad? I can't believe it's 30 years. So glad yes. to see you. Oh, oh, my pleasure. So this is the uh, slideshow I used to uh, give cadets um, medical lessons, and it's also some life and leadership uh, lessons to the people that were gonna be young lieutenants leading our soldiers. I'm not sure you've ever seen these. So you can see we, we were pretty busy at the hospital that day. And that's what you looked like when I first met you, what your leg looked like. You can see the belt from the crew chief. You can see this screwdriver. Oh, it's wow. just truly incredible. I didn't realize there was actually a photo with the screwdriver. I've never seen these. I've never seen a photo with uh, the screwdriver. It's funny though, as I look at it, I'm moved, but I don't know that I feel a loss from that. You know, there were greater losses that day and uh, when I see a, a photo like that, I, I think about, <clears throat> not the wound, but... Some of the responsibility that I should have after that, uh, being able to walk away with that, and uh, so many didn't. And uh, it's changed the way I live my life. The gentleman that was next took an RPG to the hip and how he was still alive. I, just the desire to survive is truly an amazing thing to watch. Unfortunately, he, he died a couple hours later over in the ICU. And then it just continued all night, one after the other, one after the other. We had no ICU doctor. We were, we were in the operating room and literally would tell the nurses, give them blood, give them morphine, give them fluids. If they're on a vent, get the tech to help you adjust the vent settings. Good luck, you're on your own. Stick your head in the door if you got a question. We'll try to give you some guidance. 
our OR tech would finish a case with me, take all the instruments in the back, clean them, and once they were processed, they would go back and do another case. And then they would just do it again. And they just kept going around that circle all night. We were in continuous operations for about 36 hours. I did 22 surgeries in that 34 hours. Around midnight, I'm going through and getting ready to find out what do we got left. And I come up to Brad. Somehow, somebody had given him a satellite phone. He's like, hey, Doc, it's my wife. She's a nurse. She'll understand. Talk to her. And just pushes it in my face. All these things are going through my mind. And I'm like, hi, this is Dr. Yorchek. And I just hear all this, this sobbing. If the surgeon loses control, then the operating room loses control. So you had to be 100% in control, no matter what your emotions were going on inside. I stepped out into the long hallway. I said, he's alive. Unfortunately, he lost his leg above the knee, but he's coming home. He'll be home shortly. And I said, I'm sorry, but I really got to go. I got a lot of work to do. And I wiped the tears off, turned around, gave the phone back to Brad, looked at the next guy, said, hi, I'm Dr. Horchek, and I'm here to take care of you. That was the first time I met Brad. There were all these reasons why I shouldn't have survived. We had over 70 wounded from that battle. From the task force, we'd lost 16, and then there were two 10th Mountain lost as well, so there was 18 from the battle. As Soon as I got stateside, I started reading on what's available. How do I get back to duty? I just got in a leg, it wasn't fitting very well. When I got home, I had all the guys who, they weren't setting any boundaries. They are like, hey, strap that leg on and let's go to the gym. Hey, that doesn't prevent you from working your chest. My therapy was all my buddies. Well, I know I progressed faster than most people today going to physical therapy because every day I had a mate dragging me somewhere, believing that I could do it, here I am on the climbing mall, no leg, doing three-point climbs. Here I am, you know, in the gym. Four months after that injury, I was skiing. What I did have to deal with, and I did it quietly and, uh, and alone, was survivor's guilt. I had to get past that. It made me set goals. Today, on October 3rd, I run. I run not because I love running. I run because those guys didn't come back. <clears throat> they can't run. The distillery Beehawk that we're building is kind of the culmination to all of this. And Beehawk represents all those guys lost. In the service, we've got an eagle down, means we've got a soldier who's been injured. The feather that adorns that facility, the feather that'll be on every spirit that we produce, will be a nod and a remembrance to all those, not just Task Force Ranger, but all the service members who've given for this great nation. This 46 Medical Task Force was a 52-bed hospital that handled over 80 patients in 34 hours, took care of some seriously wounded people. Those nurses, doctors, all the enlisted soldiers, that unit never got a citation for what they did in Somalia. That they got no recognition for something that they stood up and did a tremendous job in a very difficult situation. I think that's what I want this to be remembered for. When it came to being the consummate medical professionals that kept 
soldiers alive that were critically injured to come home to their families. We did a hell of a good job. That battle answered every question I had about myself. While I lost my leg, I am proud to be a part of that fighting force. It certainly changed me, even though there's still pain <clears throat> 30 years later. <clears throat> it's been a good thing. It was some bad shit. I actually uh, remember I was in the field when this happened, and I, and I remember it was uh, it was Seventh ID. So a lot of the soldiers that were there were um, Rangerback guys, and they would go there to get like platoon sergeant time, first sergeant time, because there was no opening in the Rangerback, and they knew so many of these guys, and it was just really uh, hard for them to you know, cope with, I remember my first sergeant, um, to be in 50 deuce, he was, he did the Mog Mile, um, just bad shit, and it started so much bad shit, and we started losing respect in the world, and I don't know if we've gotten it back or, or not. Here is our This Is America, this is just a dude going through a store, doing what the the media should be doing, in reference to fucking Inflation. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. So I'm walking around Costco here and I'm noticing these prices. For example, these Madras lentils, $15.99. I bought those a year ago for $6.99. I keep getting told that we got, you know, six, seven percent inflation. You gotta be kidding me. Let's look at what else we got going on here. We literally bought this chicken broth, five sixty nine, two months ago. Dang, this is the flour we were buying for five ninety nine last year. It's fucking horseshit. This is just a real kid doing what we all are seeing and feeling, but our media just continue to say, oh, it's it's good. You know, Biden's fixing it. We're great. And we're not. I mean, we just went grocery shopping that day for just little odds and ends, for God's sake. I bought a vegan, because remember, everything's supposed to be vegan now. Sorry. This is that time of the show. The light. If you watch the vi the clock behind me, you know, it goes, it takes a while because I got to download everything as I'm going along and make slides. And um, But long story short, um, a bowl of vegan, and they want us to all go vegan, no meat, vegan ramen. And I bought it, manager special, for three bucks. It regularly costs $9. It was delicious. Sack great. I had no stomach kickback. But who can afford a $9 thing of ramen? Used to be four fifty. I looked it up. That's how much inflation has kicked it. So, um, 
to surmise the podcast and wrap it up, the sad thing is this is a shoo-in. I'm not a Republican, don't like Republicans just because of the Tom Fuller they're doing right now. But if you really want to break it down, this is a shoo-in. You have a president that's let the whole border go to shit. you got people storming in our country. Inflation is crap. Supply chain was fucked. They've done nothing to fix it. They continue on an ideological binge of saying everybody who disagrees with them is a racist or a ultra-duper mega fucking Nazi. And inflation is just keeps pouring and they're lying that it's not. They've let crime go rampant since 2020, they've just, as their leadership and all the states have just let things go to fucking hell, we just sit here and get worse and worse and worse. But the GOP is going to nominate Trump, which is a divisive person that's going to make it hard for them to win. They bump out their fucking Speaker of the House, and now they're going to have a shutdown because if they don't get somebody in there, how can they stop it in 45 days, which will happen at the holidays. And do we remember last time at a holiday that we had a partial shutdown just for a little bit? Not monetarily from people getting paid. It was like functions closed. Uh, they, they said that the Republicans weren't letting people see Mount Rushmore and Yellowstone. Do you remember that? They're going to lose because they're stupid. They're just stupid fucking people. And if anything, this is the one time we need them to not be fuckheads. As a normal, non-liberal American, we need non-idiocy now more than ever. And win back the presidency and, and just get some semblance of norm- normalcy. But you can't because they're far right now. And the country is begging for middle. Just fix things. Fix it before it gets too late. Housing is starting to bubble. Man, this economy can dip again. We could be fucked. And they're up there playing stupid fuck, fuck goose and not fixing anything. You know, Republicans can't do what Democrats do. I mean, I know far-right guys want that. You just can't. You don't have the support of the media. And it doesn't matter how good your talking points are. The media are the ones that spin it. They spin the yarn that wins the game. Simple as that. So this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politics Podcast. Share with your family and friends. Go to Flavor Politics with K at SoundCloud. Rumble 482467 Podcast at gmail.com for, for comments or suggestions. We'll go with our next show being 11 October, year of our Lord, 20. 23. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. And as always, thanks for watching. Every death is a tragedy, y'all. Seven lives.